you are new with us, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we take this time to hear from God's Word. So we'll be reading God's Word and then working carefully through it. So if you don't have a copy uh, in front of you, you can grab one from a Bible. You can grab a Bible under a chair nearby you. And if you don't own a Bible or a Bible that's easy to read, uh, please keep that one. We would love for you to have it to get to know God through His Word. Well, Jesus has come as the world's true King. That's what the Gospel of Mark is showing us. And He is, has launched His kingdom into this world. He's announced that His kingdom was, was breaking into the world, and He was inviting people to repent and believe this good news, this gospel that uh, was dawning. And he, he was healing many people. He was casting out demons. He was teaching. And so here's the question that is raised. Why did most people not stick with him? If the, the world's true king is here, son of God, becoming a human being, bringing God's kingdom, healing people, giving them their lives back, forgiving their sins, why did some people follow him and then fall away? Other people from very early on already start to plot his death, and some stick with him. Why are there so many different responses? That's really a question, one of the central questions that's raised from the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark that we've been looking at for several weeks so far. And Mark chapter 4 answers this question. So Jesus starts speaking in parables. These are short, vivid, illustrative stories. And the very first parable he tells is, according to him, the most important one. It's the master parable. He says that if you don't understand this one, you won't understand the rest. So this master parable helps us understand why people had such varied responses to Jesus. And don't you wonder that today? Have you ever just been so bewildered by seeing some people respond to Jesus, follow Him, and stick with Him through such hardship? And other people have a very clear understanding of who He is and just be indifferent to Him. Or other people actually start getting hostile to the real Jesus. Or some people really excited. They start following Jesus, and then it fades, never to return. And you're thinking, what, what was that that happened there? Why are there so many different responses to Jesus, especially in light of the fact that He's the real Jesus bringing His kingdom? This isn't just today. This was back then. Like, people are looking at Jesus in the eye and having all these kinds of responses. Wouldn't that raise the question in some people's minds, am I, is He for real? I mean, if, if everyone's not in on this, maybe this isn't actually the real deal. So, this master parable Jesus gives this most important of parables, this parable that if you don't get this one, you don't get the rest, is here to explain why so many different responses to Jesus. So here's Jesus' surprising answer. It's the condition of the hearts of the hearers. The message of the gospel is powerful, and yet it hits hearts that are different and creates different responses. So let's read this now, and then we'll walk through it together. Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, 
And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen or hear, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that, quoting Isaiah 6 here, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, verse 13, now explaining the parable, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, we thank you for your word here given to us by the Spirit, and so we pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that this word of yours wouldn't just enter into our ears and then leave, but we pray that we would hear this and accept it, and bear much fruit. We thank you that you have been doing this work among us, and we pray that you would continue to do that. Please give good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus is giving this parable of the sower, and he's explaining also the purpose of all of his parables, and then he explains this parable of the sower. So he's really doing three things here, right? He gives the parable, and then he explains the purpose of all of his parables, and then he explains the parable. So that's what we'll see. We'll see the parable and the purpose and then the meaning of that parable. So first, the parable. So Jesus is teaching a large crowd by the sea. He's often by the sea in the Gospel of Mark. He's often teaching crowds 
there. And the crowd's growing bigger and bigger as his ministry goes on, so he's no longer inside of a home. He's out by the sea, and he can't even just teach them by the sea. So he gets into a boat, shoves it out from sea, into the sea, and he's speaking to this giant crowd that's gathering on the sea um, as he's on this boat. And he told them a parable from there. And the first thing he said to them in verse 3 is, listen. Uh, it's the same word that's used repeatedly throughout this whole text, the same word that's translated here, key word of the whole story, here. So the very first thing he says is, hear, listen. And he'll say soon in verse 9 that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's calling everyone to hear, but not just to listen at one kind of surface level, but to really listen to what he's saying, to really hear deeply what he's saying here. And then he tells this short story about a sower, one who's sowing seed in the ground. And now in Indiana, we have a lot of flat ground, and the soil has been plowed, and you can get a good crop here. But in that context, the terrain was pretty rugged. They did not have many flat areas, fertile fields. So there'd be some areas with good soil, some areas that were kind of rocky, some areas with weeds and thorns. Some areas that would be paths running through these fields that were trampled on, therefore compacted soil. And so this man scattering seed over the whole area, and as seed hits different kinds of soil, different patches of ground, it produces different kinds of results. So the first soil is that on the path. Verse 4 says that this seed lands on the path, and of course that's tightly compacted, so the seed just sits there and then the birds come and eat it up, much like they did with the seed that I tried to put in my yard uh, in the past and wasted a lot of money because the birds come and eat it up, and I didn't know I was feeding them, and I still have bare patches. Second, <laughs> rocky ground. This soil is shallow, so the seed can sprout, uh, but its roots can't go deep, and so it comes up quickly but it fades when the sun comes because it doesn't have deep roots there. The third soil is sown among thorns. So the seed lands there, and it does start to grow, but it's growing in this patch of thorns. And so the thorns, as they also grow with it, are choking it out, and it doesn't produce any result here, any fruit. And so all three so far have been failures. No crop, but the rest of the seed hits good soil. And verse 8, you can read it with me, other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So th these are the only seeds that actually produce fruit in the story. It's the only seed that didn't fail, and it had everything to do with the soil. Now, Jesus just told this parable and let it sit there. He didn't explain it. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might be familiar with this story. You know the point of it. We actually just read it. So we already kind of have in our mind what this is kind of about. But just feel for the people who are standing there on the shore listening to him at first. He just said that story and let it sit. Um, didn't explain it. And then he says in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's saying to them, here's my story, you're going to have to work it out. Think about it. If you have ears to hear, you'll understand what I'm saying. You can work it out. Now, not everyone will be able to. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Now, that right away shows us that Jesus' parables aren't what many think they are. He isn't trying to, he isn't using these parables in order to make it easier for everyone to understand his message. Right? He isn't just illustrating a hard point and using these kind of down-to-earth stories because, well, I know, here's my point, might be kind of hard to understand, let me tell a quick story, now you'll all get it. Uh, Not necessarily. Now, he often does use illustrations, he pulls on very earthly realities to help people understand his teaching, but with parables, that's not actually the main thing he's doing here because he didn't even explain what he meant to them. It wasn't obvious. It would have been easier for everyone if he actually just said his point. But he didn't. He told the story. In other words, we think of it like this. Jesus makes a point that's kind of hard to grasp, so then he grasps and so then he illustrates it with a story to help everyone. But, but here, in fact, he's not giving his point. He's only giving the story, and then he says, see if you can grasp it. Not all of you may be able to, but he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's going on here? We find out next in verses 10 through 12. This shows us, second, the purpose of the parables. Those who were closest to him came to him privately, and they asked about his parables. And his answer was surprising. He said that he was talking in a way that would not make everything clear to everyone. Instead, he was speaking in parables to do two things, to reveal to some and to conceal for others. So to reveal and conceal. So listen to what he said here. He says this to his disciples, his inner circle. So he's no longer at the sea with the great crowd. He's private now with his inner circle. In verse 11, he says this, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything's in parables. So Jesus is dividing people basically into two categories. There are those who are in his inner circle those who are his disciples, his followers, and then there's everyone else on the outside and those who reject him. He's revealing to those on the inside. He's concealing for those on the outside. So, by the way, just a side note, some of what we're going to see Jesus doing here, you may already get the sense, is a little bit surprising, maybe troubling at first. And so, I just encourage you, as you hear Jesus, um, don't be discouraged or think um, especially if you're exploring Christianity and you think, this is hard, I don't like this, reject it. Actually, let a moment like this where you're kind of confused and bothered by Jesus help you see, okay, there's actually more to Jesus than maybe I've thought. And maybe even me being bothered is all the reason for me to really try to understand who that man was, uh, because this is different than I might have thought before. Okay, so what, what is he doing? Well, first, he's revealing to those on the inside. He said, to you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, the word secret can be translated mystery. Uh, It's a Bible word. The Apostle Paul uses this as well. It's referring to something that was previously hidden but is now being revealed. So, it doesn't mean it's kind of mysterious. It just means that it was hidden and it's now being revealed. And Jesus is saying, though, that this mystery of the kingdom is being revealed now, but only to some, to those on the inside with the ears to hear. So what's the secret or the mystery of the kingdom? Well, we'll go more into detail on this next week because his next parables start to explain this even more. But it's what we can refer to as, um, I've heard, used this phrase before, uh, the already and not yet nature of the kingdom. So in other words, the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully here. 
Really helpful to get that category to make sense of Jesus and what he talks about in the Gospels. Because some people were expecting the kingdom of God to come with a bang, overthrow the political rulers of the day, launch his kingdom, set up a throne, renewal of all things, all at once. And Jesus came, and he didn't, on the one hand, say, yes, that's what's happening. The kingdom is fully here. Nor did he say, the kingdom's not here. That's something totally in the future. No, the kingdom's here. (laughs) The kingdom is launched. But it's not yet fully here. We have to wait for Jesus' second return for it to fully be here. But the kingdom then, well, in what sense is it here now? Well, it's here spreading. It's present in Jesus' power as he's doing these miracles. And it's present as as his message spreads. And people hear it and receive it and are coming under the kingship of Jesus and receiving his grace, receiving forgiveness. And we see the power at work. In other words, the kingdom is going to start small. And then it's going to grow. The kingdom's going to be kind of covert first. It's already here, not yet fully here. This is the mystery. It begins small as people hear and respond to Jesus' message. And he's revealing that to those on the inside, saying, you might not have expected this, but here's what's going on with the kingdom. So he's revealing that to those inside. But he's also concealing. He's concealing the message of the kingdom to those on the outside. And this is the surprise, the, the big surprise, Uh, He's telling the parables in order to not make everything clear, but to keep some people in the dark. He's speaking in a way that those with ears to hear can understand, but those without ears, ears to hear won't. So the parables are like riddles. And only those who have ears to hear, only those who, you know, have the inside knowledge, but in this case, those who have humble hearts and are open to Jesus. Uh, Those are the ones who can understand. Now, why would he do this? Why speak in these riddle-like parables? Well, Jesus explains why in verse 12, and it's a striking statement. He quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. So look what he says in verses 11 to 12 now here. But for those outside, everything's in parables, so that, so here's why he's concealing to those outside, so that, and then here he quotes Isaiah, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. These are some of the hardest words that Jesus says. It's one of the more challenging statements he makes. He's concealing the message for some so they may not understand, so that they may not be forgiven. He is intentionally keeping people from receiving his message That's hard. Why would he do it? I think the context of Isaiah 6, which he quotes here, really helps us. Whenever Jesus and the New Testament authors are quoting from the Old Testament, uh, almost every time they have the context of that quote in mind. They're not just kind of ripping verses um, out of nowhere. They're referring back to that whole section of Scripture, and the people they're talking to were often steeped in that text and would understand what he's doing, or they could go study it out and find out. So, We want to understand what was going on in Isaiah 6. What is with this quote that Jesus brings up? Well, Israel had been rejecting God for centuries, really from the beginning of their life together, and God had warned them from the beginning and then warned them generation after generation after generation, and they kept resisting Him. They kept living hypocritical lives. They kept not only not loving Him, but not loving one another. They were becoming oppressive 
oppressing the poor, living lives of injustice. And so God finally says, judgment is near. Judgment would be exile, which means they would be conquered and taken out of their land, right? Game over. And so God sent Isaiah then, in the midst of this time, to be a prophet, to preach to Israel. And the purpose of Isaiah's preaching was actually, in large part, to further harden Israel. So we have this nation rejecting God century after century after century uh, and failing to love one another. And they have hard hearts. And so God sends Isaiah at the very end of this, when judges are the fall, to preach to them and to have a mission for them to actually hear his message and get even harder in heart. It was a depressing ministry. We could refer to it as a judicial hardening because it actually was a judgment on Israel. God was judging them by giving them a prophet who would preach to them in such a way that their hard hearts would just keep hitting it like it always has, and it just accelerates the process and radicalizes it, um, confirming them in their hardness. And so the purpose was to judge Israel really in a couple ways. First, to judge them by hardening them, or by, by having their hard hearts hit the message again and just keep getting entrenched, and then for judgment then to fall on them for their hardness of heart. So to accelerate the process at the end or radicalize the situation and then send them into exile. But Isaiah's ministry wasn't just to harden Because as he speaks and as the people that were rejecting God get further and further away from God and harder, a remnant of faithful believers would be revealed who would keep getting softer and get the message and trust and wait and know the Lord. And it would be a small amount of people comparatively, but it would be revealing this true group of believers. And so Jesus is quoting from Isaiah's commission text, when God commissioned Isaiah to have that ministry of hardening and revealing to Israel. And he's quoting this to say the same, this is, Isaiah's ministry is his ministry. He's, the same thing is going to be happening here. He's making a separation. We have Israel who has come back from exile, kind of, uh, but not really. Their hearts are still not changed. They're still hardened, by and large. And they're, stu- they're rejecting him right away. And so he speaks to them in parables to confirm that. He's confirming them in their hardness and their rejection of him. So think of the scribes who we saw just last week, um, or the last couple weeks. They're, they're challenging Jesus, questioning him. They are not open to him. And then they finally come to this place where they see the clear work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry and say, that's Satan working. And Jesus says they are on the verge of committing the unforgivable eternal sin, right? This entrenched, hardened, recalcitrant rejection of the clear work of God in their sight. And so now he's starting to talk in parables um, as a way of concealing it, especially to them, because they're firm and entrenched in their rejection. And so Jesus speaks to conceal as an act of judgment, but Jesus is also revealing the kingdom to those with ears to hear. He's revealing, he's revealing that there actually is a remnant of true believers who will trust him and will follow him. He's gathering this core group to be the true Israel um, and who will follow him. So here's the purpose of the parables then, not just to make concepts easier to understand with a little illustrative material. The purpose is to reveal and conceal to reveal the kingdom to those with ears to hear, and then to conceal it from those who are rejecting him and hardened. And so they'll be further hardened. 
So the parables clarify who's in and who's out, in other words. For it was, uh, who is Jesus? Who's for him? Who's against him? Who's going to follow him? Who won't? And then the parables not only uh, clarify the situation and the categories, it, it radicalizes it because those on the inside will get more. Those on the outside will get driven further away. So now third, Jesus now, after explaining his purpose, now explains what this parable of the sower is actually all about. And he's revealing this again to those on the inside. So he's giving them the mystery. So to this group here, he says, here's the meaning. So he wants us to have the purpose of the parables in mind as we consider this, because he's revealing how the kingdom comes covertly, remember, and how the message polarizes people. That's actually exactly what the parable of the sower is about. It's how the message of the kingdom it spreads covertly, and it radicalizes responses. So verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word. So Jesus is the sower, scattering seed, and the seed is the word. It's the message of the kingdom. So the word is the good news of the kingdom, the gospel message that the kingdom of God has come into history, and here we have the king living a perfect life, the perfect life you and I have failed to live, and he's demonstrating this restoration of creation by healing people of their diseases, restoring their relationship to God by forgiving their sins, casting out demons, removing the evil from the world. He's going to go to the cross and through the cross, the resurrection to bring another phase of the launch of this kingdom by actually dying in the place of sinners to bring this forgiveness that he's giving. And then he's risen from the dead as the, the first one with a resurrected body. The new creation's here. The kingdom has dawned, and then now the gospel's spreading, and the word's spreading, and people can get on it by grace, receiving this forgiveness. So it's the message, and this message, as it goes out, is like seeds, just being scattered. As people speak, as Jesus speaks, and then his followers speak, it's seeds going out into the world, sowing. That's evangelism. That's missions. It's sowing the seed of the gospel. And so now this explains why people have different responses to Jesus. It's not because Jesus isn't powerful enough to make everyone believe. It's not because the message isn't clear enough to be compelling. We have the sower. So, I mean, with Jesus, when he was there, you couldn't have a better messenger, and you couldn't have a clearer message. <laughs> you couldn't want a better evangelist, and most people rejected him. So what's the problem? The seed hits different soils. That's his point. There's different heart conditions that create different responses to Jesus, and Jesus gives four different categories. The first is the hard heart. Jesus speaks to some people, and it's like seed dropping along a hardened path that's trodden, and the seed can't penetrate in there. Verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. So that's a sobering reminder that there's a spiritual dynamic at work. Satan is actively working to keep people from understanding the gospel. So this is experienced in this, you know, in one ear, out the other kind of experience. The message lands kind of on the, on the top of our hearts and it doesn't stay there. It's taken away. We hear, but we don't really hear. I've seen this happen a lot. Maybe you have as well. I've talked with people who just can't seem to grasp the gospel. God loves you. You have rejected him. And Jesus came to die in your place for your sins on the cross, and he rose again, and he welcomes you by grace to be forgiven. 
They can hear that message over and over in different ways and still think at bottom, so what do I have to do to prove myself? I'm, I don't think I'm a good enough person. I'm trying. It just, it just doesn't. It's like the, the coin goes in the vending machine and it's stuck, right? It, it just doesn't actually drop in there. And then someone comes along and takes the coin, right? Satan coming to take the word away. The second soil is the shallow heart. These people respond joyfully at first, but it doesn't last. It's like seed sown on rocky ground. So rocky ground, right? There's some loose soil there, but it's rocky, and so the seed can start to sprout, but there's no room for roots to take a deep root. And so notice what Jesus says happens to them in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So these people have a shallow experience with the message of Jesus. They have an immediately respo- immediate response that looks good, may even last for some time, but the issue is that it's shallow. So Jesus is cautioning people about immediate responses. We don't want to discourage people who respond joyfully and immediately to the gospel. Sometimes that's real. It's good soil. But Jesus is giving us a category for people who look like they believe deeply but don't. They're receiving the message of Jesus at some level, but their soil is such, their heart is such, that the root doesn't penetrate deeply so that it's lasting. It's, it's rocky soil. And so there's a joyful, immediate response sticking with Jesus for a while, but then there's a falling away. Notice what causes them to fall away. Jesus says it's persecution and tribulation here. So they're happy to follow Jesus until there's a cost. That's his point. Jesus is addressing the idols here that people have, idols of the heart, that you can have certain idols in your heart of comfort and acceptance. And you can hear the gospel of Jesus, like it, receive it with joy at some level, but it doesn't displace the idols of your heart. Jesus doesn't actually take the throne there. And so what happens then? Well, when your idols of comfort um, and acceptance are threatened, then Jesus has to go. So comfort, physical persecution comes, or tribulation, social rejection for following Jesus, losing your job for the sake of Jesus. That's not worth it. So it's a priority issue. It's, I'll follow Jesus, but only so far and only so much. And so Jesus is, the insight here is he's saying this isn't just about like true faith that then gets some complications later on. The issue from the beginning is the kind of soil. The issue from the beginning is the heart that has idolatry that's not pushed out and displaced by Jesus. It's shallow. And the persecution is just exposing the shallowness of that heart. The third kind of soil is the cluttered heart. This is the heart that has competing desires. There's too much else on the mind and heart. There's too many other things to care about and love in life. And so those things crowd Jesus out of the heart, in particular, the love of money and possessions. Verses 18 and 19, read it with me. The others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word 
and it proves unfruitful. Jesus is addressing another idol here, the idol of money and the idol of possessions. This is common in our materialistic culture. Advertising succeeds because it's appealing to the idols of our heart that want things uh, and want more of what we have. We want nice cars, we want newer clothes, we want bigger houses, and we always want more. We grow discontent with what we have, and so we always want more. You know, the only sin Jesus talked about where he said, beware of this sin, is with the love of money. There's a lot of sins we can have we don't need to beware of because it's obvious what, I mean, we know we're doing it. We know when we're hating, we know when we're lusting. The love of money, though, he says, beware. Why? Same reason he says right here, the deceitfulness of riches. It tricks you. There's a a kind of deception that can come in thinking, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. This isn't a sin. Um, It it makes, I just want a little bit more. It's fine. I don't love this too much. I just want more of it. And Jesus is saying, be very careful. And he's addressing that the, the issue here is that Jesus can then become part of our life at some level, and then these are like thorns that get bigger, right? Uh, Bigger and bigger and bigger, and they eventually choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is the cluttered heart, right? The heart that has other things going on. I mean, I feel this temptation all the time. When I get my mind set on like something new I want, I mean, I can just go back through my phase. I wanted a new guitar, wanted a new computer, thinking about a new car now, and like my mind is all of a sudden like, oh, I need to do research to be wise. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'd really like that. Oh, what about that? Oh, and what about that? Right? Like, this just happens over and over. It's deceitful, and it's like thorns growing up. So, for all three of those, they have one thing in common. They fail to produce fruit. The farmer who's sowing the seed doesn't get a result from his efforts. It's soil that won't work for sowing. It proves unfruitful. And so, Jesus gives the final category, and this is the only one that proves fruitful. It's the good soil, and that's in verse 20. Notice how Jesus draws attention to the difference here. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So, this is different soil. It's not hard. It's not shallow. It's not cluttered. It's good soil. And so notice that these people, doesn't mean they're good people, right? Good soil means it's like the soil's doing what it's supposed to do. It's going to receive the seed. Um, so there's a deeper hearing then that's going on. They have, these have ears to hear. They're receiving and accepting the word. There's no competing idols here. The message of Jesus comes in and it comes with force and Jesus becomes the priority. Pushing out the other clutter. Roots going deep. Jesus is central. No other idols. That's what's happening here. Uh, different soil. And the result's different. Those first soils didn't bear fruit. This one does. Because there's no competing, ener- like, there's no competing uh, thorns in this heart, nor is it shallow. It's bearing fruit. Uh, all sorts of different kinds of fruit, right? Or amounts. 30, 60, 100-fold grain producing. The point isn't that you have a certain amount of fruitfulness. The point of his parable is that only one seed actually bears fruit. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but it's bearing fruit. So here's the question. Which soil are you? We're all going to have temptations to all of these, but Jesus is saying there's a kind of heart condition that's most fundamentally described by one of these four soils. So are you the seed sown along the path? And is your heart this path? 
you hear things, and by the time you're in the parking lot after Sunday, it's like the sermon came and went. You read the Bible, and it says you close it as if it never happened, and that's, that's becoming the continual pattern of your life. Or are you the seed sown on rocky ground? You, did you have a period when you were really excited about Jesus, but now you, you don't really care, um, and you're wondering, is it really worth following Jesus, especially as our culture makes it more and more uncomfortable? Or are you the seed sown among thorns? You have a heart cluttered with competing desires. You're more excited about uh, the next thing you can get rather than Jesus himself and seeing his mission advance. Or are you the good soil? God's plowed up your heart, and you're seeing that the seed has come into your heart, and God has done what he alone can do. He's given good soil, and you see that it's been bearing fruit in your heart. So here's the main point. The main point of this parable is for us not to be disillusioned by seeing all sorts of responses to Jesus in the world. The main purpose of this parable is for Jesus to explain to his people why so many people are failing to actually follow him or only do for a while and fall away. The first three chapters of Mark are showing that the king has come with the message of the gospel and it's good news the forgiveness of sins, and the coming renewal of all things. And as he speaks this, all sorts of responses are happening. And so he's reassuring his people to say, uh, the message is true. I am the king. Don't worry if everyone else falls away and doesn't believe. That doesn't discredit the reality of what's happening here. The issue is the condition of the hearts. So sometimes we think, oh, if I could just make the gospel clearer for this person. If our church was just a little cooler... If we could just, you know, we just like that sense of it. If we could just add this, you know, um, and Jesus is saying, no, get the gospel clear. The word does the work, but it hits different soils. And so we pray that the Lord would cause good soil to receive the word. Okay, so just a few quick additional implications. That's the main point. A few quick notes. And really just one, one main idea applied a few different ways. Here's the main idea. Let's trust the Word of God, the gospel, to do the work of God. Let's trust the Word of God to do the work of God. And in three ways. Let's trust the Word of God to do the work of God personally and in our church and in the mission of the church. Okay, so each of those. Let's trust the Word of God to do the work of God personally. Um, if we are going to be transformed as God's people, here's how it happens. The message of Jesus comes at us like seeds and drops in our soil, and then it bears good fruit. So we've got to keep getting exposed to the Word of God. We've got to be hearers with ears to hear, which means we've got to put ourselves in the way of the message of Jesus and of the Word of God coming at us. The ground will not produce grain unless seed falls in it. And so the word is the seed, the power to produce fruit is in the word. So let's think about our lives. How much of a priority have I been making hearing God's word, reflecting on God's word? How much of a priority has it been to be here on Sunday mornings to hear God's word and to maybe go to bed on time on Saturdays so you're not exhausted here on Sunday morning, right? Just thinking about the times when you're exposed to God's Word, are you making yourself available to hear God's Word? And are you bringing your whole self there, pushing out the clutter of your mind and opening yourself to God's Word? 
Um, I was just spending time yesterday with Mary Newton, whom many of you know and love, and we were talking about the Bible. And she said to me, the most important thing anyone can do is to get alone and close the door and have quiet time, right? What's the point? Hearing God, hearing his word. And then throughout the day, reflecting on God's word, hearing God's word. So second, let the word of God do the work of God among our church. Let's keep prioritizing this together. We want our church family to be a place that has Jesus and his word at the center of our life. We don't gather mainly around common interests, but around Jesus. We want God's word to be central in our service here, in our small groups, in our conversations. One easy practical step to even take in the next 30 minutes is after the service, just ask a friend of yours or ask someone you talk to, um, hey, what, what was helpful to you from God's Word today? Or maybe even just being the first, like, hey, let's talk about that. I want to share something with you. Here's something I was convicted about or encouraged by. Here's some comfort God gave to me through His Word in particular. Anything come to mind for you? And just share together around about God's Word. Do that over lunch together. And then finally, uh, let's let the Word of God do the work of God in our mission. Let's be sowers of the seed of the gospel. Jesus was here as the sower, sowing the seed, and it's not like that was the only time in history that was done. Remember, he called people to follow him, and he said, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, using this metaphor, he's saying, come and follow me, and I will make you sowers of the word. Learn from me, watch me, and then do likewise. And so Jesus himself is still sowing the word in the power of the Spirit through your mouth if you speak the word. Isn't that amazing? The sower is scattering seed by the power of the Spirit as you speak or write or type the gospel to people. What a privilege to get in on this. And so our job isn't try to make it more compelling to people by changing it, uh, nor to feel lousy about lack of fruitfulness, but to just be faithful sowers. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he says. And then we pray. Lord, let this land on good soil. And we trust him. We trust him with the results. We don't manipulate. We don't force. We don't get angry. We just speak the gospel and we pray for the Lord to do uh, what only he can do. And we keep being patient. And so give people the Bible. Befriend people, love them, and look for opportunities to share with them what you believe about Jesus, what the Bible says. Give someone a Bible-saturated book and offer to talk about it with them. Just find ways to keep scattering the seed. Be patient. And this is why we celebrate and support missions work, because we want the seed to be scattered among every people group like Jesus called us to do. And we pray for the word to hit soil that would be good soil. There are some places in the world it's rocky ground. Some it's a path. Some it's like thorns. But some people among these people groups, Jesus says, will have good soil. So we keep sowing the seed And we keep being faithful and we keep being patient knowing that the Lord will give the growth and the power of of the word. And so let's keep being sowers in our homes, with our spouses, our parents, our children, our neighborhoods, and among the nations. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for spreading the gospel through the message of Jesus in the world. And we thank you for giving us your word this morning so that we can have confidence in the power of the word and not be disillusioned by how few people seem to 
respond well at times. So thank you for giving us this reassurance. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful sowers of the word and that you would do miracles through us as we speak the message of the gospel and see it hit good soil. So please do that through us. We pray that we would bear fruit and that we would see grain multiply around us in our towns, in this area and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.